Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Lakers Side Chats. I am your host as always, Alan Ramich. Joined with me today, a special guest, first time guest on. He is amongst a lot of things. He is now the co-host of the Laker Film Room podcast. He was on the Lakers official podcast with Aaron Lasul. He is the Lakers sideline reporter. He did play-by-play for a while on ESPN Radio for the Lakers. Have I missed anything, Mike? Mr. Mike Trudeau? Hey, uh, Manchester, Manchester United fan. Manchester United fan. You got to get That's it. the most important thing. <laughs> you got to get that in there. <laughs> Uh, we got to make sure this isn't a 30-minute thing of just talking about how great Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, yeah, turn Bruno that. Fernandes, Paul Pogba is. <laughs> Don't forget Van de Beek. You know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, the, the, the list goes on. Zebe last week. Oh, we can talk about it all day. <laughs> That's our new podcast venture, Mike, having a Manchester United podcast. <laughs> hey, sign me up. <laughs> but yeah, let, let's touch on the Lakers. Obviously, it's been a few weeks since the Lakers um, won the title. Obviously, with the Dodgers winning a few nights ago, LA is still in a title hysteria at the moment. Um, I don't think we'll ever see anything like it again. Two teams in such close succession winning titles in the same city. What do you make of the atmosphere in LA? I know it's COVID and you know, it's all... Um, it's a weird situation to be in, definitely, um, especially not having a parade yet. And, you know, the Dodgers also winning and that situation being up in the air. You know, we've seen LeBron's tweets about it. Um, how do you feel about the championship run in general? Um, I'm sure you enjoyed it just as much as we all did at home. Um, obviously, you got to talk to the players after the game and whatnot. Um, yeah. So what do you just make of the championship run in general? Well, the, the titles for both the Lakers and the Dodgers, and I know we'll focus more on the Lakers, being that this mm-hmm. is a Lakers podcast, but definitely a ray of sunshine in a in a really dark and stormy 2020, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just in LA, but in the United States and worldwide uh, because of the pandemic, and um, as well as the social justice movement and Black Lives Matter, and uh, which, by the mm-hmm. way, it's, it's been cool to see the support that that's garnered worldwide, including in the English Premier League, with the players continuing to take a knee, um, and and so like that's been really cool. I think that that that's been one thing that's that's been a positive sense for change uh, moving forward. But yeah, I think that once you get back to LA, the team gets back. It it is kind of a reminder that we're still in these COVID pandemic times mm-hmm. because there hasn't been that release uh, as a group. Um, although you know many fans did go down to, around Facebook yeah. Center and otherwise and. But like there hasn't been that full official, you know, release, whether it's through a parade or, um, you know, through the just the typical mechanisms that you would have. And so I, I it's my hope that some of that carries through to next season. But uh, as we as you guys have seen over in England with the Premier League and, and certainly it's going to happen in the NBA, it doesn't look like there's going to start with fans. Um, now we'll see. It's going to depend state by state. It's a little bit different here mm-hmm. um, in that context. But I, I don't know. And I don't think the team knows when they'll really be able to have that full embrace and that full. So that mm-hmm. that part of it is unfortunate. But I think what you have to do is focus on the good things. And that is that this team found a way to stay together through the longest NBA season in history. Um, they found a way to embrace each other on the court, to embrace the system, uh, to max out their defensive effort, their intelligence, uh, to run the offense through you know, one of the greatest creators in the history of basketball in LeBron. And it really played some beautiful and inspired basketball. And so that that can't be taken away. There's no asterisk whatsoever. Uh, in, in fact, I think it's really, it, it makes it even kind of a stronger case uh, that they were able to persist through all of that and still win the championship. 
Well, I, like you said, I think I don't think you know Touchwood. Hopefully, the situation doesn't get worse with COVID. I don't feel like we'll see a, a season as mad and as complicated as this one ever again. Hopefully, you know, maybe fans won't be allowed back in, but I feel like that's a sacrifice we're all willing to take to have the NBA on in a sort of regular-ish schedule like we're used to. Um, I just want to touch on, you know, obviously it was amazing watching it, but like, just what you think of the proposed December twenty-second date of them returning? Like, is it just me or like these guys who have? been playing basically for an entire calendar year coming back on basically two months afterwards i don't feel like is the smartest thing in the world at this point you know i don't want to like disparage it too much because i get it from like they want to fit it in before the olympics and there's only certain ways that you can do that but just from a like a player like you know you want to look after the players as much as possible i don't think it seems like the smartest thing in the world especially for the likes of the heat the lakers the nuggets the celtics you know who were playing in the bubble like three weeks ago it's tougher for those specific teams namely the lakers and the heat uh for everybody else even including the conference finalists uh, to me it's it's a bit less uh of an impact Mm -hmm. and it more than half the league you know it hasn't played in a long time and you also mm-hmm. have to factor in that these players did get those four months. I don't want to say off because they continue to train, uh, but they they did get those months from March up until the restart in late June, July. You know, so you have to kind of you do add that to the quote unquote rest bank, and it, it is going to be taxing mentally, physically, et cetera, especially for the veterans or for the Lakers specifically. But I think what what they have to do, and, and the Lakers have always been good at this, where some other teams haven't, like a. a I could use the like San Antonio Spurs, who it's always been more about, hey, well, yeah, we may sit our players on national TV, but who cares? We do what's good for the Spurs. The mm-hmm. Lakers have always done what's best for the NBA. Um, that, that's what Dr. Buss believes. That's what Jeannie Buss believes. And so I think that, that they can understand if it is to start that early, it's for a reason, right? It's so that they can maximize the amount of revenue and they can get back on a calendar that addresses not just, I don't think the Olympics as much as just the the season going so far into the summer mm-hmm. that it's just not normal for basketball fans and for kind of the casual fan to be expecting to tune in uh, and keep their interest in the time when they mm-hmm. may be traveling and, and like that's finally decompressing from sports or from from anything. So to me, it's just more of a of a business uh, type of a thing that the the Lakers and everybody else will have to make the best of if that is uh, what they end up deciding to do. Or maybe they're just trying to get on that English Premier League schedule, man. Like, <laughs> you know, football players, uh, we will call them soccer here. Uh, I feel like they never get a rest. I think it's not only does the season team to go that long, but then they also have their national, the best players have their national team commitments. And like that, that to me is, uh, is you know, uh, I feel a little bit less sympathy in some senses for the NBA players uh, when I think about what all these international soccer players are asked to do. But then I also say that these soccer players, as great as they are, they don't play 100 plus games a year, like in the case of a LeBron or even like I'd use a Nurkic because obviously I'm Bosnian. Whenever he's not playing for Portland, he's playing for Bosnia and in this international competition as well. So there's a lot of miles on these players' body, which is why I thought the Martin Luther King Day would be probably a more feasible date just because it does allow that extra couple of weeks of rest. And as we've seen, them extra couple of weeks can be a difference between soft tissue injuries happening and not. So hopefully it comes to a resolution of some sorts that we know fairly soon, because I feel like we are approaching both of those dates really, really quickly. Yeah, and and I think that, so regardless of when they come back, LeBron, for example, He's, he's always going to make sure to know how to handle his body. 
and what his body needs. And, and if it feels like it's too soon, you know, to be playing X amount of times per week, then then maybe that's something that they can figure out either with a minutes reduction or, you know, with, with certain games where, you know, he's, and, and I, I don't want to call it, I wouldn't call it rest because I would say that it's just more sort of expected body maintenance, right, that he might be doing for some of those games. But that's one of the reasons why it'll be important for the Lakers to have really good depth on the squad uh, and on the roster, which I think they're going to be very capable of doing, both with bringing back some of the, the players that they had from last year and, and perhaps uh, bringing in a new player or two. But I, I think right now it, some of this depends on player options and, if, you know, if players are just deciding to opt into those. But regardless, I think that they're going to have a chance for guys like uh, Kyle Kuzma and an Alex Caruso and maybe Taylor Horton Tucker, like those kind of guys that can play more than they did last year to carry a little bit more of that weight early in the season. If, you know, especially like you said, like, you know, a Kuzma, a Caruso, a Horton Tucker, if Dion Waiters comes back into the fold, you probably you see him play the type of minutes he played in the seeding games before the playoffs and his injury. And so, yeah, that's definitely a great point. You did touch on, you know, just the chemistry and the culture of the team. And I just wanted to move on to that just because I think that's probably the biggest thing that brought us this, obviously, alongside the talent of LeBron and AD. The culture and the chemistry created not only by LeBron and AD, but by Genie as the owner, Rob Palinka as the GM, Coach Vogel. Obviously, you're one of the closest people because you've been with the team in day in, day out, covering them, obviously not during COVID, but before pre-COVID, you know. So you, you got to see how Palinka worked more than we did from the outside anyway. Um, you know, there was a lot of perceived dysfunction from the outside, especially when everything with Magic Johnson happened, you know, and then he went on his media tour on first take on Frank Vogel's press conference. Um, I just want you to touch on the culture that's been created so far. And I think it's gone from being this dysfunction to being a team that I think is probably the model for the NBA of how to treat your star players and how to treat your players in general, because I don't think we ever heard a negative story about any player being disgruntled or unhappy at any point during the season, which for a championship team with a ton of big personalities is huge. And as you know, it doesn't happen very often to have such, you know, such calmness and such, it's just being one mantra throughout the entire year. You know, you're right that we didn't hear of any of those and that's because there weren't any uh, really, mm -hmm. I can tell you, I mean, I was, I was there and it's, it's, I'll, I'll here's one disclaimer, okay? When you have a really good team that wins, a lot of that stuff gets kind of takes care of itself. And this team, they lost their first game of the season, and then they won seven straight. Then they lost one. Then they won ten straight. Then they lost one. Then they won mm -hmm. like eight or nine straight. So, and from that point, they never relinquished first place. Uh, they, for the most part, were quite healthy. Um, of course, they had the the extremely difficult things to deal with, such as Kobe's uh, Kobe's passing, which of course was just a massive heartbreak, I'm sure for you, and in addition to fans all around Precisely, the world. But, yeah. but but of course within the team, then they had COVID and the pandemic, uh, as I mentioned, the social justice movement. So they had all of that to deal with. But on the court, the team was good from the start, and they stayed good. And they and the the thing that I think makes the most sense, and to bring this back to your point earlier about Rob Palinka, when he constructed the roster. Uh, one thing that can help with chemistry is if you have very well-defined places and roles. Mm -hmm. And it was so obvious that, okay, it's LeBron and Anthony Davis. They're going to work together as the stars, as the fulcrum, um, as the centerpiece. And everybody else, it's your job to fill in around that, to play defense, to uh, to uh, 
uh, to get to the rim, to space the floor, to set screens, to do the little things. And most of the guys that they got to do that are veterans. Um, now, they had Alex Caruso in house in system, who is a young player, but a veteran uh, based on his basketball IQ, how smart he is. And then they had Kyle Kuzma, a young player, but who had been there for longer than any other Laker, shockingly. Which is wild. <laughs> so, like, they're, they're – and all the other guys they brought in, you know, Jared Dudley, like, tremendous culture guy. Quinn Cook, tremendous mm-hmm. locker room culture player. And then Danny Green, tremendous guy in that context, vet who knows how to play both ways. Um, the one question mark from that standpoint, Dwight Howard w- was a model um, for that as well, uh, where he hadn't been to the same degree in previous stops. He was fantastic and em- embraced exactly what his role was going to be. So it just was a team that f- from the construction of it, and that's from a physical standpoint and a mental standpoint, made a ton of sense. And we saw how it paid off. Well, I don't know how you feel about this, but basically the way I look at it is every player – at the start of last year, which is like over a year ago, which boggles the mind. Um, every player sort of had a question mark alongside him at the start of last season. With LeBron, it was, you know, he had the groin injury. AD, it was, can he stay healthy for a year? And, you know, be dominant, Dwight, JaVale. You literally, the list goes on and on, you know, Danny Green's getting older, Jared Dudley, it, it, the list. And the fact, I, I feel like, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like them having a point to prove this year and like being... No, this is a good team full of a bunch of really good guys, generally as people, um, a really good basketball group, probably the best defensive team in the NBA last year. I, I don't think that's a, a shocking statement at all. No, I agree. Um, it's, it was, it's definitely, I think, you know, the bulletin board material that people talk about on Twitter and whatnot, you know, I feel like that did help as well with the whole situation. I think it brought the guys closer together. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Alan, I mean, the way, so I thought just looking at the roster and some, some would say it's hard for me to be objective since I work for the team, but I didn't grow <laughs> up, a, I didn't grow up a Laker fan. So I, mm-hmm. and, and when I, I was hired to be the reporter and so I went to journalism school, right? So I've always, mm-hmm. I've felt like I've been, I have been able to stay impartial. If the team is struggling, I'll say the team is struggling. I just don't have to be uh, crass about it and say, oh, they sucked that year, right? It's like, well, they struggled for <laughs> X, Y reason. And so I've always I've felt like the reason that I've been able to be objective is because I watch every other team play. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I do all day, right? I watch games. And so I felt like looking at the roster last summer that this was the best team in the league on paper. Um, I thought that the Clippers, I, I thought the Clippers were close. But the way if you would have asked most, even NBA experts, they would have given you the Bucks, uh, maybe some pick the Clippers. And there were a couple other teams that mixed in there. And the Lakers certainly were, you know, within that top sphere. But nobody was looking at them like, oh, yeah, like this is the best roster. They should be the favorite. And I think some of the skepticism came from, as you mentioned, the the transition in leadership from Magic stepping down suddenly. Mm-hmm. And people weren't quite sure what to expect from Palinka. Um, I was pretty confident about Palinka because I trusted that, hey, here, here, there's a simple reason to explain this. Kobe Bryant trusted him and thought that he was the best possible person to handle all of his affairs and was his best friend. So I'm like, okay, if it's good enough for Kobe. And he signed a ton of great players to his agency that he built himself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I figured yeah. like, it's not, it's not like this guy doesn't have a track record of success. Exactly. Um, it's a little bit different of a position, but same thing with Bob Myers. He, he, Bob Myers also was a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to be repetitive because I said some of this, as you mentioned, on the Laker Film Room podcast. But that's the, the gist of it was I thought that Rob was much less of a question mark than everybody else. And I thought mm-hmm. the roster was great. And the one thing I'll give you that you mentioned about that external motivation, 
I do think that LeBron, and that's the most important person to have it, the whole revenge season thing, watching Kawhi win finals MVP, you know, being hurt, not making the finals, like as if you needed to have extra motivation because of just what his talent is, but he did have that. And I thought that was going to be the number one factor why if I had to pick a team out of the group, if I'm given the Clippers or the Bucks or the Rockets, whoever credit, mm-hmm. give me LeBron. Okay. Give me a motivated LeBron who has something to prove, who knows that the, he's not going to get any love in Lakerland if he doesn't win a title. And, and understandably so, right? That's what you know about the purple and gold history. Exactly. Uh, so, so I thought that that was a, a key factor for LeBron, especially. And then that filtered on down through the rest of the roster. And I think that's a really good point. And especially like, like you said, LeBron doesn't need any extra motivation, but when you give him that extra motivation and you have, then you add Anthony Davis to that. And like you said, it it's easy to see how good Anthony Davis is when you watch him game in, game out. But like, I can't lie, I didn't watch much in New Orleans when, when he was when he was there. You know, I watched maybe like 20 to 30 games as much as I can. But like watching him game in, game out, it gives you a new sense of appreciation for him and just just how good he is defensively. Like, I I think he's the best player in the world defensively. I really do. And I think he has a case alongside LeBron of being the best player in the NBA right now, which, you know, 12 months down the line, you know, obviously you can't speculate on free agency being an employee of the Lakers, but hopefully AD staying means, you know, that we get to see this duo a lot longer and that's only positive if it happens. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in the point you make about AD and, and defensively is certainly key, but, um, you know, I did get a chance to watch him a lot in New Orleans and in the kind of the biggest the biggest factor in the bottom line there um, was that he didn't have, he never had, like, he was always the best player. Okay, so that, so in his own right, he still held up well uh, in that context, but when you are the best player, um, it means that you're getting that that extra level of defensive attention from everybody and and what I saw from when AD still made it to the playoffs nonetheless uh, if you recall so he was on a team with Rondo in fact who decimated the Portland Trailblazers 3 years ago in the postseason they swept them in the first round swept when they were were to do so then they ran into the Warriors and that team was one of the all-time great teams and they lost but AD in that series was just ridiculously dominant and again mm-hmm. he didn't have a ton of help certainly in the form of a of a LeBron James so I was I was kind of thinking wow He's the skill set that, that he has meshes so perfectly with LeBron because he's he's a play mm-hmm. finisher. Um, he he can pick and pop. He can pick and roll. Um, he can take guys off the triple. Uh, he can post up. Right there isn't really an offensive weakness. He can shoot threes. And then defensively, um, the most talented player in the league. And I think he had to he had to sort of show it uh, against some of the best competition. But I agree. I thought he was the defensive player of the year. So it's just such a, a flawless fit with LeBron. And you don't have any of the comp- the competitive stuff because LeBron is 35, AD 27, mm-hmm. right? There, it's like LeBron's already established. Um, he he now is not that you know, AD is not questioning that, nor is he trying to to show what he can do. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it was it was such a it was such a, a a nice fit on and off the floor. And again, I that is is really the biggest thing as you mentioned to start the podcast, Alan. Like that, if you get two stars. Who are not only can not only play both sides of the court, but also um, can be copacetic with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's a great formula to just put other role players that around, and and you get championships out of that. Like that's what you see consistently in the NBA. Um, that's that's a, a great way to win a championship. And 
you know, you did predict, obviously, you said you'd want the Lakers to win it all last year. Another comment you made that, that, that sort of garnered a little bit of, um, through the wider NBA community, a little bit of disdain. I wouldn't say disdain, like, in a bad way, but, like, a little, it raised eyebrows was the fact that you said that you'd take Alex Caruso over Lou Williams. And I was completely on board. I was like, I agree. Like, Alex Caruso is a way better defender. Maybe he won't provide as many points, but he's a lot more efficient in his role. And he's just a seamless fit with LeBron. Like, I think that's the main part. And I agreed with you. And now, obviously, we've seen what happened with the Clippers and their, you know, their 3-1 capitulation, you know, going and losing in seven to the Nuggets and whatnot. How do you feel about that uh, that comment that you made now? And realistically, where do you see the ceiling is for Caruso? Because especially with more work with Phil Handy, you know, judging by his comments, I think he'll be back next year. And Phil Handy is awesome with the player development. And we've seen it the entire year with the players and, and especially the younger guys and how they have developed in certain aspects. Um, how high do you think the ceiling is for AC? Because he's, I, I can't lie, he's my favourite player on the Lakers, you know, a homegrown guy who's undrafted, starting in game six of the finals, I think is an awesome story. Yeah, I mean, I, I've – so I've been high on Caruso, uh, obviously. I mean, mm -hmm. I think people people know that. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the reason is I, I watch the Lakers play every game. I talk to the coaches. <laughs> I talk to the players. Like, it's not – you know, it, I, the comment that you cited, I think, was the way that that came out, right? It was one of those mm -hmm. things where I said it in the course of a, of a podcast, and I believe it to be true, but it wasn't like – you know, it had gotten clipped out as if it was a mm -hmm. shot at Williams, and it was like it, it wasn't really that. I I genuinely believe that a, for if you're looking for a two-way player, mm -hmm. and by the way, all of the numbers bear this out. Okay, go look at any advanced statistic that you want to, net rating, um, all of that kind of stuff. Like that bears mm -hmm. it out. But the bigger context that I think people miss is that when you have two stars, and both the Lakers and the Clippers had two stars. Of course, it's AD, and it's LeBron versus Kawhi and Paul George. You have to have players that are smart, um, that are willing to play a role, and that are going to do anything that it takes to win. And Caruso, just by who he is as a player, he knows what he has to focus on that's going to help the team win. Lou mm -hmm. Williams can go get you a bucket. Uh, it, you know that's what he, he, he. I don't care where you just drop him in, and that's what he's going to do. Okay, he's he, that's the way he plays basketball to score, um, to score mm -hmm. points. He may lay off the occasional screen roll assist, but he's not going to defend much, and and he's only going to play that sort of one way on offense. And if, if you have two players like George and Kawhi on the floor, I I don't wouldn't necessarily want that third guy, you know, to be just playing his way. And so that this is all part of what's baked in. So this isn't about who would win in a one on one matchup or who averages more career points off the bench, but you know, uh, Alan, you referred to the efficiency. So Lou Williams' career in the postseason is a 39% shooter and 25% for three. And that's what he's that's what he's paid to do, and he's not doing it at an official level. And, and their reason is is because he's smaller. Um, he relies in part on on those types of calls that you're gonna that you're not gonna get as much in the playoffs. And so these are you know, I covered Lou Williams when he played for the Lakers. I watched a ton of the Clippers. This is just this is not just me like with a hot take trying to say, oh look, Caruso's better exactly. trying to get attention. Um, I, I think that the basketball bears that out and and you know i don't remember exactly how i described it back then but to to now move that forward to, with what your question was to your point do i think he can, he can continue to get better absolutely uh and one of the ways is he's going to keep shooting the ball more efficiently his mm -hmm. three-point shot is going to continue to come around right that was that's in if that if that happens 
he can at the same time focus on some of his off the dribble ball handling playmaking where he still has clear room to grow like those are not he is not elite at either one of those things right now like making plays off the dribble screen roll you know shooting the ball he's elite defensively he's elite on the ball he's elite off the ball he's elite um when he doesn't have the ball on offense but he can definitely get better and phil handy as you mentioned that's that's one of the best uh, developmental coaches there is uh, and i think that he can he can benefit from that too so i'm rambling uh, but you and i clearly agree on this take and, and i think that the the proof in that is just by by actually really watching every game like that's how you can tell that and then if you want if you don't want to watch every game don't look at the points average or the rebounds average because that's what lebron and ad are there to do uh look at what their rating is when caruso's on the floor versus when one of his other teammates are because even amongst his own teammates whether it's green or kcp or kuzma all these guys that have played really well caruso is the one that stands out in terms of plus minus well, it reminds me a lot of like when Lonzo was on the Lakers, when people would look at the box score, like you mentioned, and Lonzo would have like seven points, nine rebounds and like seven assists. And they'd think he'd had a bad game. But when you'd actually watch the game, you're like, Lonzo legitimately impacted the game really, really well. I know he's not on the Lakers anymore, but I think it's a really pertinent point that you bring up that like, it's not just about the box score. You have to actually watch the games and watch every single Lakers game to realize like Alex Caruso I said he was a top five defensive guard in the NBA and people laughed at me and I, I still think that's valid. Like I think he's yeah, so good, sure. especially off ball. I think off ball, he's so smart. And that's why LeBron appreciates him and loves him. That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah. Yep. You're but, on it. But it's like that thing, like you said, if you don't watch the all the games like you do, obviously it's your job, but like it's you can't make a um honest opinion on it without, you know. You see a lot of people just think he's a meme and whatnot. And of course, you know, there are some people who take it a bit far, you know, calling him the GOAT and whatnot. But I love the guy and and you do too, obviously. So Yeah, and, and I, Alan, I, and I don't and I don't blame people. No, you, look, not everybody not you're right. I am I am that is my job to watch them all. So I don't blame mm -hmm. people that don't have the time. Like who who does everybody else, you have a day job, right? Like exactly. everybody else. Has these, and so that's that's what I feel my job is to to do it mm -hmm. to to make a, a point like that in a fair way and to bear mm -hmm. that out whether it's in writing or on a podcast or on the spectrum broadcast for TV. Um, that is what we're here for is to is to try and so I I never would get mad at somebody for having a take like that. I think that's just more of, of the hey you might you're you're going to see more highlights of of a guy that's hitting more jump shots perhaps mm -hmm. than doing the little things. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it makes me think of a of a soccer analogy or a football analogy to like a, a holding defensive midfielder that can transition the play is not going to get a ton of credit as much as the striker is who's scoring the goal. But uh, that it also doesn't mean that the goal scorer is necessarily the better player, you know, than the, than the mm -hmm. player who's in the middle of the park uh, initiating everything. So it like, that's, it's just, but it to, in order to have that opinion, you really do have to watch the full 90, you know, and you have to kind of uh, understand what's going on because if you're it's it, right and, and that's part of what i love about soccer too is like it's the the statistics now maybe they've gotten better i know there are some advanced statistics now in, in mm -hmm. soccer but like the, the statistics don't always bear it out um no they don't yeah. yeah even the advanced stats are still very much behind our american counterparts in the nfl and nba so yeah. like you said it's it, it's weird but i agree with you you have to watch the lakers to just realize how important Alex Caruso is to this or, team. Or ask LeBron. That's an easier one. And like those guys know, you know, like that if if you're if you are if you're gonna be on the court a bunch with LeBron James, and like it's for a reason. If he doesn't want to play with you, you're probably not gonna be on the court a ton with him.
and and that's I would fine. say that's that's a pretty good endorsement for for AC Fresh. <laughs> I agree. Um, so just to wrap things up, this is going to be quite a short episode, but you know, I'm sure you'll be on again at a later date. We'll be able to talk about more things in a bit more in depth. I just want to round off the podcast by asking you a question that you know you didn't expect, but I do this to every guest that comes on that's brand new. Obviously, with the passing of Kobe Bryant, like you said, it hit all of us really hard. Um, at the end of the podcast, what I do is I ask every guest, um, just off the cuff, what their favorite moment, Kobe moment was. Um, it can be on the court, off the court, whatever. And the reason I do it is everyone's changes every day. Like mine, I know mine changes like probably multiple times a day as to what it is. But I think, you know, everyone has a different one at a certain time. So because of that, I just wanted to make ask you, see what yours is. And yeah, if you could just share it for us, please. Sure. So on the court, right, the the best moment um, is the 60-point finale. It just there's, – there's just no way to beat the – uh, who he was, 20th year, rising to that occasion, and doing it by hitting three g- daggers in the fourth quarter to win it, to get to 60, like that that just doesn't happen. It's never going to happen again. That was incredible. Uh, in terms of the moment, though, that was most worth, like his career, the most important that I was there for would have been game seven against the Celtics, uh, where mm-hmm. he didn't have a shot going. By the way, neither did anybody else. Ray Allen, no. look at his line. Paul Pierce couldn't hit a shot. Powell, like the... The guys were not efficient or effective because they were playing ridiculous, crazy balls out defense. Uh, they mm-hmm. battled for the previous six games, so I don't hold him responsible for that. But guess what he did? Grab 15 rebounds. Did everything that he possibly could to win the game, play defense, like all that. So uh, those would be two. A couple underrated ones. Uh, game six against Denver in the 2009 uh, season in the Western Conference mm-hmm. Finals. Uh, just go look at the box or just Google it. Incredible. Um, but my my favorite personal moment with Kobe is going to be one that's off the court. Um, if you want to hear that story quick, I'll, I can I can give it yeah, to no, you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so and I've, I've told this uh, this story before in, in other places, but I'll, I'll try to give you a condensed version of it. So in the 2013-14 the season, we were in Detroit for Thanksgiving and all of us away from our families, of course. And Kobe decided to uh, to essentially purchase a massive Thanksgiving meal for everybody on the staff, the traveling staff. So he he rented out the ballroom on uh, was it first I think the first floor ballroom in one of these hotels, and you know it's got everything that you possibly could have wanted: turkey and the stuffing, and there's a it's a bar, and there's and there also is a ping pong table. So some of the players start playing ping pong, and I happen to have had a ping pong table growing up. Do you call it ping pong in England, by the way, or table tennis? I call it ping pong. Okay, I call okay, it ping pong. okay, okay. That's my so, Bosnian background, though. Okay, cool. And, but yeah, I got you in Bosnia. Um, so I am. There are a couple of the players are playing. Jordan Farmar. I don't know if people remember Sean Williams, and I, I end up playing Sean Williams, and I beat him, and he's not happy about it. And you know, he's a great guy. We're we're very friendly, but he, you know, he's like, I, I'm try, trying to lose to the five nine sideline reporter, and Kobe. <laughs> is on the sideline talking trash to Sean Williams mm-hmm. about that. And so I make a comment to Kobe like, "Hey, if you want some too, you know, I'm happy to give it I'm happy to give it to you, Kobe." And I was being mostly facetious, right? Cuz I I'm like mm-hmm. I assume that Kobe is great at ping pong as he is at yeah. everything else. Um and so he's like, "All right." So I'm, I'm like, "Okay, all right. Well, I don't know what I got <laughs> myself into, but I'm ready for it." And so we play in in early in the first game, I can tell that I'm better. And so mm-hmm. I'm I'm like, "Okay, uh, I'm and I'm a very I'm a I'm a crazy competitive person, so I'm I'm focused, right? So I'm not like, mm-hmm. oh my god, I'm playing against Kobe. I'm focused. I'm like I'm praying on his backhand, you know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so I'm I'm focused. But what I notice is that throughout the game, Kobe is is kind of 
focusing himself too. He's he's paying close attention to what I'm doing and he's adjusting on the fly. Like this already is not a normal behavior. Usually if somebody just steps mm -hmm. up at a Thanksgiving party, they just kind of play, you know, and, and sure, some of us are more competitive than others, but I'm like, okay, so this is very Kobe and he's not, he's, mm -hmm. he's not talking trash to me. He's swearing. Like if I hit a slam and whatever, and he's, he's like, uh, but he's not, but he's not being at all dismissive of me, and, mm -hmm. right? He's not taking me for, for it for granted just because I'm, again, because I'm the sideline reporter. He was talking trash to Sean Williams about that, but he's not doing that to me. So anyway, we play the game. I win handily, and he's like, all right, let's go again. And so we play again, and it's much harder to beat him the second time that we play than it was the first mm -hmm. time. And it just, again, it's kind of, to me, that speaks to who Kobe is, to what he is, whatever that he's doing, and he is going to quickly become an expert at it. And I saw that over the course of like five minutes, he became a better ping pong player. And as the story goes, his security guy told me that after we got done with that evening, Kobe told him, order a ping pong table for the house. And so I never got to, I never wanted to ask him about it like later on because I didn't want to mm -hmm. be like, hey, remember the time when I beat you in ping pong? You know? <laughs> um, but my, I assume that he did get one. I, I had heard stories that he had played against his daughters and stuff. And so he probably was mm -hmm. awesome about a week after the, that he got the table. But that that was, a, 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 a fun moment just for me to get to to compete against him in something, but also just to just sort of see how the Black Mamba mentality works, um, even if it's just in a ping pong game. Oh, this is why I ask people. You get different ones all, all the time, and, and it's brilliant. You know, Howard Beck was talking about a time where, you know, a young Kobe that last episode. And, you know, it's, I think it's a wonderful thing, you know, just hearing everyone's stories because you always hear something slightly different. Sure. And I think, you know, keeping the memory of Kobe Bryant and the legacy of his alive, I feel like, especially for Lakers people, I feel like it's so important to do as well. Um, Mike, I know. I'm really appreciative of having you on. You're one of the guys who I absolutely wanted to have on when I started this podcast. So I really, really appreciate you. Um, where can the people find your great work and whatnot? And yeah. Oh yeah. Wherever. Yeah. You could, you could find me on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry about all that, man. It's been a pleasure. Uh, always good connecting with you. And, and again, once I, I learned that you were a United, a United supporter, um, I was additionally eager to come on. Now, if a Liverpool uh, NBA fan or a city fan wants to have me on, not happening. Okay. <laughs> don't, don't even ask. Okay. We uh, are. I'll be sure out. to send them on. Them get out as I, as I now anger the entire rest of the uh, of the country. Um, but I am look. I am loyal to the Reds, and I, I hope I would hope that that uh, the true fans can appreciate uh, the loyalty. I appreciate if no one else does. <laughs> All right, Thank man, you again pleasure. for coming on, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, no problem.